In this episode of The Invisible Vote, we bring the creators to you. Host Anthony Frazier, myself, creative producer Rolando Hudson, and the man the people call Dr. Blackie kick off this amazing episode looking back at all the great guests we had. What was the experience like for the guys behind the mic, on the street, talking to the people, listening on this unique behind-the-scenes episode about the people who made the invisible vote happen? So welcome to what we call the invisible vote. I'm just saying that there they were, they were three groups of people. One of them were protesters, and the other ones were people there just to take advantage of the system. Those are reparators. I'm exactly right. Those are people who are the, who don't have anything, who aren't going to get anything, who don't have, who they are people just like me, who are 20 years old, walking down the street, already on parole, don't have a chance, ain't going nowhere. No, they ain't going nowhere. No, they're not going to get opportunity. No, nobody's not going to give them opportunity. Nobody they know is going to give them opportunity. Those are those people. And I, I just think that, you know, people should understand why they're out there. Hey, my name is Dr. B. Blackie. I'm really old and I live in Harlem. My name is Rolando Hudson. I'm 64. I live in the South Bronx. Anthony Fraser, CEO of ABF Creative. to sum up, you know, everything we do at ABF or sum up everything I do personally is always about just enhancing Black people's lives, enhancing people's lives, human lives um, in general, you know. And so um, I think that this podcast is really just a great extension of that. And But also the book that I wrote, um, Don't Dumb Down Your Greatness, was really just honestly just a, a, an extension of that as well. Um, just trying to teach personal development. Um, I'm still personally developing. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it. Like, I know something about life. I don't know anything about life. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm just happy to just being able to, to to help other people, man. As far as my background is concerned, um, I basically got into the film business. I've been in the film business for just about 30 years, um, starting out as a music video director in the, in the late 90s and bringing it up into 2000s, um, where I started getting involved in long-form films and started becoming more of a part of the support element for a lot of the productions that, that come out of New York. Um, and yes, and my relationship with, with Doug has been over 30 years, and um, we just kind of creatively meshed together. You know, that's what I understood. I've known him for quite a while, you know, I... Uh... I used to be a uh, professional uh, basketball player and and uh, a lot of other things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I picked up as being a ball player was, you know, it was always a lot of things going on in the locker room. And uh, what I learned from it is that in the locker room, particularly after the game, there's really no straight, no chaser. You know, you can't really bullshit people. So a lot of a lot of real raw things get discussed in there. And, uh, you know, that kind of was the genesis of the uh, particular character. I would sit around with Rolando and uh, talk, locker room talk with him, even though he's, uh, a, he was just a so-called ball player at, in high school. And we would, I would sit around and have locker room talk with him because, you know, I got up, you know, because I used to play around with the NBA guys. So a lot of the conversations 
in the locker room are pretty strong and serious, uh, probably 10, 10 levels higher than the barbershop kind of talk. So you got, you know, hyper-competitive people in there and, you know, and you have competition. And you really get to see what kind of person you are. So, um, you know, talking around. And then one day I was, you know, of course, pontificating about some of my many, many, many theories. And Rolando suggests that maybe we should film a couple of them. And so, therefore, uh, I thought about I would uh, maybe look at it as being a street psychologist uh, because of my background. I also spent some time in prison doing the uh, Attica Rebellion. So I had a good wide range of uh, uh, foolishness and uh, storytelling. Huh? Storytelling. Storytelling. Well, yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, yeah, that's that too. But I mean, I've also had a good range of experience, particularly, you know, on different sides of the system. You know, of course, and I'm also a college graduate. I went to grad school and all that stuff. You know, after the after I got out of the big house. So um, I had a. Of course, I was extremely, extraordinarily, uh, I would say, opinionated. And, and right, and the storyteller. And, you know, I, at one time I was going to go to a, a film school until I seen how talented some of the guys were, like Rolando. And I thought maybe I would uh, venture off into other things. So I got into business and, you know, been an entrepreneur for, for quite a long time. So um, that's kind of like the genesis of how we came up with that particular uh, uh, character and uh, wrapping around Rolando's uh, uh, filmmaking skills, along with some of the many, many stories and experiences I had as being a basketball player and an ex-convict and an entrepreneur. So it's pretty varied. What I'd like to add to that is that I, I agree with what he was just saying. Um, one of the main things for me is that storytelling is part of the African culture, it's part of the African diaspora. And I think updating it into the 21st century Creating this character, the street psychologist, Dr. Blackie, was what we were trying to facilitate. And him telling stories and, and him giving us a temperature of the climate of the Black issues that exist within our, you know, our community was just to give him, let him speak. Let him speak about terms that are happening in the community and that are happening globally to Black people in general. And I thought it would be just a comedic way, a humorous way of explaining that or delivering that. So, because I think the best way of, of education is through entertainment. And if you're entertained, then you can digest the information easily and poignantly. I think that's a great, uh, I would say metaphor, definitely. I got a question for, for Dr. Blackie. Um, can you vote? Yeah, you know, in New York, in New York State, uh, felons are, are allowed to vote here. And I noticed... I did not know that. And I noticed you got on the Newark, a Newark show. You know, we spent a lot of time in Newark. Um, right. Uh, as, uh, you know, we, built the, we helped build the cable system there in Newark back in the late 80s and 90s. So I spent uh, six or seven years in Newark um, uh, building a uh, cable system. So, you know, I got a very, I got a pretty interesting and very background for a Harlem guy. Let me put it that way. <laughs> no, I was asking because, you know, like, you know, the, the, I don't think people in New Jersey can actually, I don't think felons in New Jersey can vote if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so like, yeah, I was just asking because that's, that's a huge part of, um, I would say reentry is really just having, you know, your voice heard. If we talking about an invisible vote, let's talk about, you know, the the millions of black men who come out of jail, 
um, and they lose the right to actually vote. That's a, a, a real invisible vote. Um, and so what, 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 what information or, or perspective do you have on that, on, on felons getting their right to vote back? Well, you know, um, you know, by the time I was like uh, 20 years old, I had already uh, was out of prison and was uh, bopping around the street on parole. So, you know, I was already a certified loser uh, at, at 20. And, you know, and that's kind of like what the system does when you are, um, you know, get convicted and put in the system. And, you, you know, voting is really not on the top of your list. You're basically trying to figure out how the hell you're going to stop being a loser. So, you know, not being able to vote um, and all the other, and being a convicted felon, which, you know, puts you in a precarious position with a whole lot of things that most people don't think about, you know, uh, because you can't be in certain places, you know, if somebody, the right person says something about you, you're a goner. So, you know, it's, it's pretty precarious. And I, I, I always thought that you needed to have a way to help people to be smarter and to give people a chance, you know, so they'd have a chance to, Correct. That. And I'm glad that in some of the states they have allowed people to to vote. And I think that voting is uh, has become, as I said in the thing, you know, is, you know, you have to really shop for democracy if you really want to make make a difference. And people sh- look around and they make all kinds of decisions, buying electronics and all kinds of stuff. And I, I've always believed you need to do that when you're voting. And some people think it's a one step process. I've been with Rolando who stopped people on the street and gotten information from them. And a lot of the young people think that, you know, voting is one thing. You know, you just you just go push a button and magic happens. Now, you have to, it's like baking a cake or having a relationship, you know, takes time. You got to learn and grow. So voting is uh, way more important than I think a lot of people thought. And I think now that we have uh, the Republicans, that's what I call them, in the office, uh, we're starting to see how important voting is for everyone. So it's important for everybody. Yeah, so like I would ask you if somebody was a newbie in voting and what a felon and just getting out of jail and and, and they they're like, hey, I want to participate in democracy. How does that person actually start researching? Because you know sometimes people be like, well, they told me just look up the candidates and the first thing that they they're gonna do is they probably just gonna watch CNN and then they're just gonna go you know cast a vote based on what they see on CNN. So, like, what would you what would what would you say are the the things that a person should research about a, about a candidate? Good point. You know, when you're uh, I'm just gonna put on my other hat for a second. You know, when you're a, a criminal, um, you know, you are thinking your thinking is not like regular people. You know, when you're a criminal, you're thinking about things on you know where the where the loose edges are in everything. So you are, you know, innately a, a researcher because you're always looking for, as a criminal, you're always looking for an angle, you know, how you can make money because you're not going to be able to get a regular job like a regular person. So I don't think you get a lot of the research for CNN because that's for regular people and criminals are not regular people. So I think when you're a criminal, you, 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 start, to enter, you start looking at who are the losers and winners because one thing about being a criminal, you know about losing. So, you know, so you get a better idea of who the losers are, where that doesn't really surface with most regular people. You know what I'm saying? You don't think like that. But when you are a criminal, (laughs) you're in with the greatest losers of all time when you're in the big house. Everybody in there is a loser. Some of them are diabolical. Well, a lot of them are diabolical. So, you know, a loser when you see one. And I think that helps you 
to decide who to vote for because you, you can just instincts. smell who, you know, you can smell something in the room as soon as they show up. <laughs> Rolando, you've been walking it. You said he he mentioned you was you and him. You know, you walked the streets. You talked to young people, asking them about you know all of these voting questions. I've seen a lot of your footage, and it's kind of been the I would say that the foundation to what we're doing on this particular podcast. So I was just like to ask, like, what what was even the inspiration to start doing that? Where did that come from? Well, I mean, I think the inspiration for me just came out for the just realizing the time that we're living in right now mm-hmm. and how important it is to document that, that we're not going to be witnessing this in my lifetime any more than, than we're seeing it right now, that we're coming into fruition right now. So there wasn't, there was just an urgency that I needed to start documenting what was happening. And um, it led from the beginning of the Black Lives Matter protests when they were when when they locked down the city and they started rioting and looting and those types of things started happening, I wanted to document that. And the day that the New York City locked down the city, mm. I decided to go out that day when they, they when they gave us a curfew. And I went down to Soho just to see what was going to happen. And um, while I was there, I just started started seeing a lot of kids on the street just hanging out. And I was saying to myself, wow, they're waiting, to be, they're waiting right. for the protest. They're waiting to start the protest. And then as soon as it got dark, those same people were the same people that were, they were sussing mm-hmm. out what places they were going to ride and loot. And, um, but in the meantime, while I was there, I was like, you know, I was traveling around. I was talking to them a little bit. They didn't have too much to say to me. Mm. And I noticed that everybody was wearing black. The, the, the police were wearing black. The looters were wearing black. Um, the people that were there to to guard the places that were there were wearing all black. So you didn't know who was who, basically. And as, as nightfall came down, I started seeing the right. whole, everything started happening right. in front of me. And I started documenting it. So, you know, Anthony, I just want to jump in. You know, I always take, I take, I always take exception, me and Rolando argue about this. I always take exception with people being called looters. I don't think they're looters. I, I, I think they're reparators and that they're <laughs> reparating themselves. Uh, that's my terminology for it, because I myself um, uh, knows that. No, I, I myself have been out there and I know that I know a good <laughs> reparation when I see one. So, I mean, while somebody may think that is looters, and again, I'm putting on my criminal hat. I, you know, I know what criminal act is and, you know, people sneaking in and taking a, a sneaker in, in a moment or, or something as, as in a moment of opportunity. That's not criminal. I know what criminal behavior is and that isn't it. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of take a little bit of with, with people being cast to that because most of those are just people who, who, who don't have anything or not going to have a chance to get anything. So they see an opportunity. And I think they should be looked at in, in that particular manner that they are people who are look, looking for an opportunity because they don't have shit. Mm. And I, I think that's how we should kind of look at it, even though, I'm, you know, I argue with them about it. But, you know, I, I understand why people say what they say. I, under, mm. I understand what you're saying about the, the terminology. But I'm just saying that there they were, they were three groups of people. One of them were protesters and the other ones were people there just to take advantage of the system. Or liberator. Those are liberator. reparators. I exactly right. Those are people who are the, who don't have anything, who aren't going to get anything, who don't have, who they are people just like me who are twenty years old, walking down the street already on parole, don't have a chance, ain't going nowhere. No, they ain't going nowhere. No, they're not going to get opportunity. 
No, nobody's not going to give them opportunity. Nobody they know is going to give them opportunity. Those are those people. And I, I just think that, you know, people should understand why they're out there. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I understand. But we, but we also have seen the same action through, through, through time. I mean, we've seen it through all of the, all of the demonstrations, all civil rights demonstrations. Anytime the blackout, it happens. Well, I, I had, I'd had, I've had the privilege of in uh, grad school of uh, having a professor named Dr. Herrod, who was a Habsburg scholar. And we studied every riot in America from 1915 to 1980, mm -hmm. let's say. And every riot, and I would recommend that everybody, I think that everybody in the country should be taught that class because what he did was he profiled every riot. And every riot in this country all had the same basic element, all of them. There was precipitating, there was people felt that they weren't being given the chance and nobody believed in them. There was always some precipitating event and then the third element was always rising expectations where people thought that they were going to get shitted on. And that's and if you looked at every and we looked at every single ride and they all were the same. Didn't matter what time mm. it was. It didn't matter what era it was. You know, you had rides in 1940, 1918, 1925, 1930, something. All these rides all had the same basic elements in them. So it, in my mind, I always look at them from a, a like an academic perspective because of Dr. Herod, and I always said to myself, you know, everybody should be taught that particular course, the histories of riots in America, and you would learn something about terminology and who's doing what to who. So there you go. I got a little bit of a follow-up question. How do you convince somebody you know, if, if if we see we keep seeing the same thing happen, we, we, we keep seeing people upset with the system, upset with what the status quo is. And then the only language they can speak in is uh, a riot or a reparation. How do you convince that person to vote? And how do you convince that person that that vote even matters? Well, Rolando has a I, th I think Rolando has a good uh, perspective on that because he has, a, you know, the, a, the you know, the innocent face. And he is able to stop people and get them to talk to him and, you know, and to get them to see and, and tell him why they don't want to do this or that. And I think that's what you need. You need to be able to hear what the people are saying and hear their particular frustration. If, you know, if you've had these incidents over the course of, you know, the last 75 years, what, what, it, what it would tell us, you know, those of us who've studied this would tell you that nothing's changed, that the same people are in charge, they're doing the same thing to the people that they were doing in 1930. They're doing it today. So nothing has, has changed. And until there's a systemic change in who's in charge and who's in charge of the system, mm -hmm. I don't see how anything's going to change. You have to have people in there who think that it's better to help everyone and not just help themselves. And I think if you went back in history and you looked at all of these different events, you'd see that the system, by and large, have been run by one group of people who are, by the, by, the, by the way, are a minority, and that's white men. They've run everything for over the last couple of hundred years, and that's, that's, what we are, that's where we are, good, bad, or indifferent. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, or in between. The system has been run by the same group of people consistently all the time. So you're going to keep, that's why I believe you keep getting the same result, because they're only interested in one thing, and that's winning. And, and 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 you almost can't blame them because that's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. And Rolando, so it's, yeah. a, it's an educational thing. 
And, Ro- and Rolando, you know, Dr. Black said you, you were on the front lines talking to these individuals and you were. You know, do you think that these people are convinced that their vote matters? What I found was, was a great amount of apathy. And I think the main thing is they don't see the value in their vote. They don't see voting as, as what's the payoff? What am I getting out of it? It's still same same thing. And I think what, what, I, what I started to understand is they don't see that it goes beyond the presidential election. It's not just about electing one person. It's about electing your judges, electing your senators. It be, those are where those are where the real policy making is done. It's not just the presidential election. So it goes beyond that, and they don't see that. They they're just right now they don't see that. And I think the best form of in, best form of information is the news. And I think I, I, I from what I've been seeing on Instagram and a few other things, there are people are are making this our vote more of an entertaining educational experience that it goes beyond just the general election is more right. than that. That's just the beginning of it. And, you know, and like they say, a lot, a lot of questions that I got back, well, well, mm. well, we voted for Obama. What did he do for us? And I said, and, I, and the first thing I said to her, the first time I ever had right. health insurance is when it was Obama Obamacare. was in office. So he Obamacare, did that. baby. You know, you cannot, you cannot change systemic racism overnight. It's not going to happen in a year or two. We right. have to deal with this 400 years on, on right. in this country. So it's not going to happen. I think as long there. as you call it, as long as it's termed as racism, uh, then, you know, the people that are in charge are going to find ways to try to act like they don't hear that. You know, if people look at it from a different perspective and see that we have a system that doesn't work for everyone, then, you know, then you're not forcing people to take to take ownership and blame for stuff. You know what I mean? Because, you know, systemic racism, that's, some, that's a serious that's a serious thing to say to somebody, you know, because we all know what that means. But when you but when you but when you can kind of try to educate people to the to the, the notion that, you know, the system is not working for everybody. When you could have 59 people in this country have more money or more resources than 160 million people, that tells you that the every man for himself capitalist system is not working. You cannot have a system where 59 people have more money than 160 million people. And that's and that, that just I read that just last week. So, you know, that's I think that's what, where you have to look. If you want to impart change, I think you have to get people to realize that the system is not working for everybody. And if you have a system that's not working for everybody sooner or later, there's going to be a fire. Yeah, I be, but I do believe that this generation is realizing that this system is not working. That's why they're out there now. But there is a lot I think, I think everyone that don't believe that. in this system at all. I think that's happened over the course of history, but people have been apathetic. What can I do about it? I think now with the younger generation and the people that you have now and these things like this, you have a way for people to see that they can voice their opinion. They can hear other people. They can talk to people like Anthony. They can see people like you, Rolando, and they could, you know, maybe even see, see Dr. Blackie, and they can see that there are people who are saying, hey, you got there's an opportunity. Just You have to work. For the change and, you, and it's not going to happen by one step like voting it ain't going to happen just by voting for the president you're going to have to have a you know it's, it's like baking a cake you just can't throw the cake in the oven you got to put all of the ingredients in it you got to put it in the oven you got to watch it you got to make sure it doesn't fall down you know what i mean and that's what it's going to take for the for the culture for the culture to work because i think one of the greatest things we have going for us that they never talk about is that our cooperation we cooperate with each other like you wouldn't believe 
I mean, you know, we will listen. We will go and buy if we need medicine for our kid. We will go to our mortal enemy and buy that medicine for from our kid. If we see somebody who we hate and we see something happen to their little kid, we'll stop and help. We stop at the light. We don't try to run over our enemies. Most of, <laughs> most of us don't. And, you know, so we, we, have a, we have a great system of society of cooperation that nobody gets any credit for. None of us. I mean, no matter what your race is, no, nobody gets any credit for the way that we try to cooperate with each other, no matter what our circumstances. And I think that should be highlighted a lot more than what it is. That's supposed to be human beings. That's what human beings are. <laughs> well, we don't well, remember we live in a culture where we live in a culture with, where we have a capitalist system where it's every man mm. for himself. And I understand that from being an ex-basketball player. I understand that every man for himself, every team for themselves. But, you know, at the same time, if you don't respect your opponents, you're going to get your butt whipped. So you have to respect your opponent. You have to have a you know, when you play in the league, when you know you play in the league, you gotta have you gotta be able to people think that they have a chance to win. You can't play in a league where one team wins all the time and they think that the referees got it rigged, that the scorekeepers got it rigged, and people don't want to play. And I would make the case that our capitalistic system is rigged to the point where the, the people who are winning, they keep winning. And the consequences is that the people who are losing, they keep losing. So I think I think a lot of that is because of the economic, you know, uh, obviously, you know, black people's economic status in America. Um, and so, like, I guess the question I'll put out to you guys is like, you know, should there be more group economics being practiced amongst black people, like more, um, you know, more focus on our economic status? Because it just seems like once we get get that together everything else could kind of fall in place you know we'll start to be able to i don't know who said it but somebody said you don't vote for politicians you buy them it was kind of a, a wake-up call for me because it was like man you know they're, they're right in the sense where a lot of these politicians are paid for you know a lot of the their voting and what they vote for what they laws that they pass are are simply due to the whoever's you know donating the most money to their campaign and so it's almost like a pipe dream if we're like, yeah, you need to be doing this for us, but yet we're not economically providing any value to them, you know, even the ones that we vote into office, oddly enough, you know, whether they be Democrat or Republican. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, this is, uh, you know, you know you're going to find I got a lot of opinions on a lot of <laughs> shit, so you're going to find that out. But in, again, I'll go back to what I said. Even if you got, if we collectively try to pull ourselves together, it's still going to be us against them. You have to have a way where everybody has an opportunity to win some type of way. And that every man for himself, in my opinion, is not going to work. You have to have a culture where people have an, uh, and some sort of opportunity. And doesn't, everybody doesn't have to have the same kind of opportunity, but you can't have people knowing like I did when I was 20 years old, that I am a fucking loser at 20. And I'm, I'm, I don't think that I'm alone in that. You have to have a way where people believe that they have an opportunity, even when they fuck up, that they can make up for their fucking up and have a better chance. So I think economically, they, they, you, cannot, you have to take the system and, and make the system more workable. Because we could get together and do anything we want. Okay, let's we do that. But then somebody, another group, uh, the, the another group gets together and says we're going to counter that and make sure those guys lose. So you got to have a way to where people think that they have a chance to win, where everybody can win. You know, win-win situation. I would think if you if we looked down that road, 
we might have a better chance of fixing things for everyone and not just for some, you know what I mean? And right. I think that's where we have a, a big problem here is that we're, everybody's looking to win for them. Mm. You got to win for everybody. Mm. You know, you got to think like that. You know, how, how are we going to do something that wins for everybody? Even the people, even the people you don't like, it's okay. Even the people you don't like, even the people who ain't down with you, you know, you don't want to wish no ill on anybody. You want everybody to have a chance to win. And we don't have that in this country. It's every man for himself or every lady for himself. And I don't think that that has it. Look, look what it's gotten us. You know, nobody, like almost nobody's happy. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Almost nobody's happy. So it's kind of, I think we got to, you know, try to be, you know, try for a better way, man. And, and I don't, and I think, you know, we have to, you know, get people to uh, think about the Obamacare. You know, people, those guys who voted for Obamacare, the Democrats who vote for Obamacare, primarily, they lost their jobs. Most of the Congress people who voted in Obamacare, they, they, they lost their jobs. And when you think about it, they did a great thing. They came in, they got something done, and they kept it moving. They went on to something else, as opposed to what we see now, where people have been staying in there until they're 80 and 90 years old, right. and all they're worried about is staying there. That you can't win like that. Right. You know, you that doesn't help the, the, the next generation. As Ronald talk about disease and all you, that, if disease and all, if the new generation see that they can't win, then you know you're not going to be able to convince them. Right. So you want to convince people that they have a chance. So that would be my take. What you think, Ronaldo? Yeah, the new generation definitely definitely sees that as that it's all inclusive. You know, I mean reparation. I mean, with Bernie Sanders and, and his whole idea of uh, democratic socialism, I think that's that's they see that the system is broken. They see that they need that we all need to be sharing in a in piece of the pie economically. So those opportunities are there. I mean, I think I think it's somewhat in disguise that there is reformity being done. I mean, once you get out of prison, that there's there's ways of getting back into the system. You know, there's training for being a barber and things of that sort, menial tasks. Um, there's halfway house programs that get you back into the system, that get you acclimated back into the system again. But they're schemes. They're not tangible sources. There's, you know what I mean? Right. There's no money. There's no direct input to where, where people are making money off right. of that. Let me give you an example, Anthony. If you're playing in the NBA right now, right, and you're, let's say you're on the worst team in the NBA, and you're the 12th man on the worst right. team, you're the practice player, you're making $25,000 a week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So, I mean, even though you're on the in there and you're on the worst team, you're, on, you're in an organization where you're still winning. Right. And I think that's the kind of way that, you know, you have to be it's like, you know what, even though my team is not winning, I'm still doing okay. Right. And I think that's where we got to. We got to have that yeah. that sort of example. I don't. I don't. I'm not necessarily mean that same amount of money, even though that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Our basic needs are being met. Our basic needs: food, shelter, clothing, and 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 health are being met. Right. And that's where we are right now. Right. And so, Rolando, um, you know, being on the street and. And, and talking to, you know, all of these young people and, and even seeing what's going on in the country. You know, you and Dr. Blackie, y'all been around a lot more longer than me. Do you, has anything changed within the last, I would say, in 2020 that changed your, your view of voting in general during this process, during this whole process? Um, I just, I just, for me, it's just, 
it shows me how valuable the vote is. And I think the main part of it is I got to see that it's, it's, it's more than just the presidential election. It goes beyond that. And that we have to be politically engaged at every step of the way. And I think that's been the fault in the past that right. we only focused on the presidential election. We never really dealt with the primaries and, 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 and just the local judicial systems that are existing right now that we were not taking a part of that. And I think 2020 has highlighted that as one of the things that, that uh, Dr. Blackie always says is that it was a good thing Trump came along. Right. Else we wouldn't even realize this was happening to us. You know what I mean? He, he shed light to all the inequities that we've, that we've been experiencing and right, what we right. need to do and how to act on that. <laughs> no, no, really, he's one of the best things that I think that has ever happened to this country because people have, now you don't have to teach people about civics. You don't have to ask people that, that what's going on in the, in the political arena and people are, and I'll say this, what I found hanging out with Rolando, even when he talked to people who say, I'm not gonna vote, blah, 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 it was very clear that they've been paying attention, man. It was paying attention, Jack. I mean, they wasn't just going, oh, vote don't mean nothing. They was, they said, I was, the one time I was with them, and they explained to Rolando why they didn't think it was going to make any difference. They, so you saw right away that they ain't just sitting around and acting like this is nothing. So I, I would say to answer your question, Anthony, in 20, the greatest thing that I've seen in 2020 is that people have been paying attention about civics and about the system and about what power the federal government has, you know, the federal, the federal, we're starting to understand now why you need a federal government, because the federal government could do shit that regular people can't do. Right. They can print, they can, you know what I'm saying? That's incredible. I just think the civics part has not been, that's the part that needs to be more pressed. You know, they, 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 I think Trump has opened up the door and now they have to understand how civics plays into that. Right. Well, look at this show. The guys, this is a show about the invisible vote, the invisible vote. You know, would you have had this show in 2014? So, I mean, this show is a, is, is a direct example of how people are paying attention to the mores and the things that go along with the our system that are right and that are wrong and how and what's wrong with it and the inequities. And you're right, Rolando, you know, the the whole level of uh, the system from the state house all the way up to the federal level. All of those areas are important. Right. And it's not just the president, it's all of it, because you know, some, some things control child care, some controls, you know, how you can arrest it. I mean, if you get arrested like me, I was arrested, I was in the state prison, you know? And you know, I was in there when they had the Attica Rebellion and you know, you saw, I mean, you could see mm -hmm. then that I saw the, I saw the difference from going into prison before the Attica Rebellion and I saw it, and I was in, I went in before it, and then I came out after. I saw the difference once they had that rebellion. I seen the whole difference in prison life and the whole the way the whole structure went. It changed everything. So it's important. It's important for people to pay attention. It's important for people to be involved, and it's important for people to go out and, and vote, and you know, and vote and get the people that they don't like, get them the fuck out, <laughs> and get the people in that they want. And if they don't do what they want, throw them out too. Right, right. You know, just, just you know, anybody that's been with a woman know about getting kicked to the curb. <laughs> well, <laughs> no mercy there, baby. Right, right. <laughs> when you get kicked to the curb, no mercy. And, I, and I'll say, like, you, you hit on a good point. You know, this podcast definitely would not exist, you know, if, there you, go. you know, Trump wasn't in office. You know, I don't think that, you know, you. we would even be talking there about you know. the invisible vote 
or the vote Hello. being invisible, even though Hello. the vote has been invisible for quite some time. But I don't think that mm-hmm. we would even be talking about it or even motivated enough. At least me personally, I can speak for myself. I wouldn't be as motivated to do this podcast if it wasn't for Trump, you know, and if it wasn't for um, what he's, you know, has been doing and and what his people people have been talking about. So yeah, you know, whether you sit, no matter what side of the table you sit on, I think it's made everybody pay attention even more. Even if you're a Republican, you're like putting the binoculars on and, and 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 you're like looking real close at what what's going on and you know how can we gerrymander more people how can we you know and so and then even i think what trump has shown um in this country is how much you can get away with um or how much you can get away with if you're a white man uh rather i think you there know you one there thing that's uh then you know th- some of the stuff that trump has done you will be crucified for uh, if you were a black man. Yet, let alone a black president. You know, if Obama did only if Obama did half a percent of what Trump was doing, or said half a percent of what Trump said, he we would have impeachment meetings every week. So, and he's complaining <laughs> about wanting to, you know, people impeaching what? him for making a phone call, an illegal phone call at that. When, you know, Obama, people was damn near on an impeachment for him wearing a tan suit. You know, that's that's the the the, the vast contrast between, you know, yeah. a black man being president and a white man being president. And so, um, but, you know, it definitely let me know that white supremacy is something that trumps a vote. Um, no pun intended, you know, um, and it's something, you know, systemically that we, you know, we have to work on. You know, as a people, us coming together and figure out how we're going to gain some power politically and non-politically and so that we can take care of our own out here. So, well, you know, I, I just want to say this. If you look at some of the the older movies from Frank Capra and, you know, uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, some of those old Hollywood movies, it, you know, were, which came along right at 10 or so years after the Depression, the whole idea of those things of those movies was everybody helping the other guy out. And somewhere along the line, we kind of forgot that, you know, and it's every man for himself. And when you really, and you're right about uh, the thing with Trump, compared to Trump, Obama was tiptoeing through the, he tiptoed through the whole thing compared to what Trump's doing. He was tiptoeing. <laughs> he was tiptoeing lightly, Jack, compared to what we see Trump's doing. And, and, and Trump knows that he can get away with it because he's got the, one of the, th- the three things in this country that, that there's no, cure for being a white man famous and rich mm-hmm. there's no cure for that in this country right now if you're a white man you're famous and you're rich you can literally get away with anything right and look at jeffrey epstein in that and you know and having you know i mean just look at that guy you know <laughs> right. just getting away with all kinds of stuff and you know and it's all okay and getting all kinds of special deals out of prison and all kind of getting out of trouble so again because of trump a lot of these things that we've all been focused on and looked at, and I think we're we're all much smarter and better for it. And I'm going to miss him. <laughs> right. As the host of this podcast, one of the the biggest things I, I discovered from talking to all of the different participants who we've had the honor to interview is they angry and you know Rolando 
kind of did a, a pre-interview with a lot of these individuals before we even had a chance to talk to them on the podcast. And when I was looking at Rolando's footage, it was the same thing. You know, it just sounded like people were just, just angry, upset, upset, feeling let down, feeling motivated in the, by that anger, motivated by that by that dis, uh, disappointment, um, in in the way the political system has been working for us. That that was the biggest emotion that really surprised me, and I'm glad that we got a chance to capture that on tape and archive it. I feel like it's like a time capsule in a way. And so, yeah, you know, at first, I'll be honest, you know, I wasn't someone who even thought that doing this podcast was something that was a good idea. Not because it was a, a bad idea to do it, but more so because I didn't feel like I was the right person to talk to anybody about politics. And, you know, the producer, Wanda, and, you know, showed me the footage from Rolando and was like, Anthony, you need to see what's going on out here. You need to see the people he's talking to. He showed me the video of him talking to Dr. Blackie, um, sitting on a park bench, and Dr. Blackie, you know, kicking wisdom like he is, like he has been for this last, you know, 20 minutes. But yeah, just to me, I think that was just the catalyst for a visible vote to happen. Like, who else can we talk to? What other people are out there? You know, let your frustrations be known. And let's hear from people from both sides of the, of the fence, you know? I'm not shy to say that, you know, I don't like Trump. But at the same time, I'm as a host, I could be objective enough to hear another opinion, even though I may not agree with it. I'll listen, you know, and I'll and I'll try to understand what that point of view is. But we're angry, and that's that's basically what 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 the emotion that I hear. Yeah, I I find more apathy more than any anything than than I find the anger. I mean, but yeah, it was more apathetic that people didn't, they want, they want a direct, they want a direct feeling of my vote really matters. And, and, and it hasn't been mattering for the last four years and the last eight years, you know. It, it hasn't, they have not seen the effects of it, you know. Right now, because of this pandemic that, they're, that we're in, I know everybody's hurt for money. Everybody's hurt for money. And they want to feel the direct correlation. My vote, I'm going to have money. I'm going to have some form of income. I'm going to have, I'm going to have some kind of security. A lot of them are going to do it because of, because, because of Trump. They want to get him out of office, but a lot of them feel like, hey, I'm, I'm still just giving away a vote. You know, more of it is about getting rid of Trump than it is, what is it going to mean when I vote? What's, it's what's going to be direct effect of my vote to me and my family. That's the part that's missing with a lot of them. And yes, pure apathy, pure apathy amongst younger people too. Well, for me, I, I looked at it a little differently because I, you know, again, being a, a ball player, I kind of was interested in giving the people who voted for Trump mm. a pass. Because I, I, I have always felt that, you know, they voting for him, even though I don't particularly care for him either, I thought it was okay that they voted for him because that's how shit works. That's how that's how things are supposed to. Be. You're supposed to vote for whoever 
you think they're like. So I've never thought about casting any aspersions on the people who voted for him, you know, because they can be bullshitted just like or, or, or are being bullshitted just right. like all the rest of us have. All of us has been over the course of our lives have been bullshitted by somebody or taken advantage of by somebody. So I ain't, I ain't mad at them for all of that. My whole hope was that people would actually understand that if you want to have something that works, you want to have something right. that works for everybody. And I thought that the reason, a lot of reasons why people would go and vote uh, uh, with regard to Trump, because, you know, we all heard about uh, crackers and evil white men and, you know, who put people in cages, put kids in cages. We all heard about that. But very rarely in your lifetime, you get a chance to go vote against that kind of a person. And I think that's that has motivated a lot of people. But I think we should give a lot of the people who vote who are voting for them, we should give them a pass because they're, they're working the system the way that it's supposed to be worked. You're supposed to go out and vote for the people who you think can help you. And until that person proves that he hasn't helped you or until other people can are convinced that he's not, that that person is not one we want, then, you know, that's why you have voting. So the voting is the thing that matters the most, invisible vote, as you said. Voting is what matters, not what team you pick, not who you like, but the idea that people have went out and voted and they voted for someone. And, you know, and I, as I told Rolando, I remember talking to a guy who was a 76-year-old dentist. I went to my dentist the day after Trump got elected. I remember sitting in the chair and I said to the, to the doctor, I said, OK, we got a clown for the president. He said, oh, no, no, he's not a clown. And I said, I started laughing because of my locker right. room experience. You know, I wasn't going to take it personal. I started laughing. I said, doc, I said, come on, man. I know a clown when I see one. And he went and he got his phone, 76-year-old guy, you know, another doctor, and he said, and he read me a letter that he wrote to Donald Trump and told Trump why he voted for him. I thought that was amazing. And he sat there and read me the letter and said that he was a 76-year-old Jewish guy who was a doctor, a dentist, and he was voting for Trump, and he wanted Trump to do the right thing. And I looked at the doctor and I said, why'd you write the letter? Right. Wow. Because if you knew he was going to do the right thing, you wouldn't write the letter. So, again, so, so people knew, that's what I'm saying to you. People knew when they was taking a chance on him that they was taking a chance on him, just like people took a chance on Obama. And as much vile things that they said about him, he kind of, he, you know, he, he, he left us with Obamacare. I, a lot of people wasn't happy with what he did, but at the end of the movie, he survived it and he left the right. people with something. And that's kind of like you start understanding what a democracy means. Democracy means that you try to have everybody try to get a win-win for everybody not this we they stuff that we're looking at right now where it's one team against the other because there's no winning in that the takeaway you know i want listeners to, to to walk away with is that you know the black vote matters you know to me that's really what the invisible vote is all about. It's about not being invisible anymore. That's that's the that should be the goal, you know. And so, I think largely our vote is invisible because they don't hear people like Dr. Blackie. They don't hear people like Rolando. They don't hear people like the Atwells, the McPhersons, uh, or anyone that we talk to on this podcast. They don't hear what the Black Kitchen Table talk is like. You know, um, they don't hear it. So therefore, it doesn't exist and therefore it doesn't matter. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do. You know, how do we take what we're talking about at the kitchen table, what we talking about on the park benches, what we talking about 
in the locker rooms, um, you know, and, and bringing that to the forefront um, and and exposing people who may not like, actually agree with you or look like you to what your opinion is. So there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this who aren't black, who don't come from Harlem, who don't come from Brooklyn, who don't come from Newark. And now they get to hear your perspective, your opinion, and why you feel that way. You know, because everybody we spoke to on this podcast was able to articulate their opinions very intelligently um, and backing them up, you know, as far as why they feel that way. Um, And I think that we never get the opportunity to be heard or be seen. And so now that's what this platform is all about, is to make them be heard and to be seen. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with them. I I think in in my dealing with people out on the street is everybody has an opinion and everybody wants to be heard in some capacity. Even the apathetic voters, they they want to voice their opinion as as to why I'm not voting. You know, because they didn't they don't see any results. Everyone wants to be heard in some form of capacity. Well, I, I think that again, this is a great uh, uh, program that you guys have uh, put together because you've uh, g- given an opportunity for the people, the forgotten people who uh, who are just, who people think are just wandering around here in the country uh, doing nothing, you're giving them an opportunity to let other people see and hear what their thoughts are. And, ha- and my hope is that people will take from this that if you have a system that works for everybody, Throw out, throw out, you know, 90% of the bullshit of people trying to hold a position and hold a lane and think about, you know, what, you know, what what would you want somebody to do for you? You know, with, if, if, like if I'm Mike or if I'm Wanda or me or Rolando or, or Anthony, you know, what would we want, you know, someone to do for our family to help us, to help us to, to, to get ahead? And we have a very big um, government with tons and tons of money and none of those things are being done right now to help regular people. And, you know, I think that what we should be looking at is trying to help people to see that the government can be an ally to help all of us and not be a fiefdom for the people who are in power. And I think if one thing that's come out of uh, all of this that I've seen is that you're starting to see that people have lots of opinion about what's going on. And hopefully people will come together and start looking for ways for everybody to win. Make sure to check out ABF Creative's newest podcast, The Invisible Vote. Subscribe and rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want more information on The Invisible Vote or even how you can participate in the podcast? Head over to InvisibleVote.com and make sure that you vote on November 3rd.